At this point in your life, if you want any more information on the latest news, you probably have a pretty good idea of where you are, are going to go. If you want to know more about the, the train wreck in Ohio and the toxic chemicals that spilled, if you want to know more about the earthquake in Turkey or the balloons we keep hearing about getting shot down or not getting shot down and what they were all about, you know where to go. You can, I think still today, order a newspaper and have that delivered to you and read up on uh, those stories. You can go online. You can use something like social media and you can scroll through and there will be links to articles that journalists have written summarizing those events. You can wait in the evening for your favorite anchor to relay more information or details about those stories, uh, whether they be worldly stories or local news. You have a pretty good handle on where to go to get more information on any story that you are, are looking for. Yet, despite all of those, those different channels that we can use, I think there is one thing that, that intrigues all of us when it comes to information about a story or, or breaking news, and something that we look for even more than the things that I just mentioned, and that is eyewitness testimony. You don't have to do a whole lot of research online to find out. Yes, you can, you can read the paper. Yes, you can scroll through Facebook and put up with all of the expert opinions and the conspiracy theories. You can go somewhere uh, like Twitter and maybe a few people will have an occasional opinion that they'll share. You can wait for the anchor to share it in the evening, which probably by that time it's already old news. But more than anything, we appreciate, don't we, having eyewitness testimony. While there's something to be said for a journalist sharing the details of the story or a summary of it, what we want is to know from somebody who was there, is that actually how it happened? Are the stories that I read about or the details that I heard about, are they in line with somebody who was actually there or who actually witnessed it? That holds a little bit more weight for us, doesn't it? Well, realize that we have that very eyewitness testimony this morning. In this significant event that we refer to as Jesus' transfiguration, Peter tells us that very thing. Not only do we have the accounts recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke, what we call the, the Gospels, as if a summary account of what happened on that mountain, but Peter says that I am able to, to validate that. I am able to complement that, that account. And that's exactly what, what Peter said, as, as you heard when we read from the second letter this morning. Peter said that, that he was, in fact, he says, we, Peter, James, and John, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it with our own eyes. So he's got our attention, doesn't he? I want to hear it right from somebody who was, was there. Now, as much as we value and appreciate eyewitness testimony, there's probably something to be said for wanting to know why Peter feels so compelled to point it out. Because as I said, we already have a, a record, a numerous records of what happened on top of that mountain in other books of the Bible, the Gospels. So why does Peter need to, to not only share his account of it, but point out that he was an eyewitness to all of this? That he was somebody that, that was there to provide his own testimony what is the significance? Or, in fact, we might go a step further and ask, what exactly was it that, that Peter saw on that mountain? 
We'll come back to that, but let's, to understand why Peter's felt so compelled to point out his eyewitness testimony, consider the context. In other words, when Peter actually wrote this letter. Times were very different for Christians then compared to now. Peter's first and second letter were written to Christians that were facing a level of persecution that none of us, I pray, would ever have to experience. Sometimes we talk about how hard it is to be Christians today, but that really kind of downplays the real persecution that that Christians were facing in the early church. The kind of persecution that could have had your possessions ripped right away from you, your, your home, your belongings. The kind of persecution that could have seen you in prison just for being a Christian or even put to death. The world did not welcome Christianity warmly at the time that Peter was writing. And so he felt compelled to to offer his eyewitness testimony to build up and to encourage those in the midst of persecution to stay the course. As I said, we we aren't really faced with that level of persecution today. None of you had to to worry about what was going to happen to you if you got up and went to church today or if you're watching online that somebody's going to come and confiscate uh, your laptop or your your phone. There aren't any consequences for you being here today. No real persecution. But I would contend that there is actually a more serious threat facing us as Christians today. Because actually, if you study church history and you look through the times of persecution, that is really when Christianity has flourished. That's when it has grown. That's when God's people have risen to the occasion in the face of that persecution. But we are challenged with something that is a bigger struggle, I think, than even persecution. Passivity. We aren't persecuted. We are passive. We as Christians are letting the world happen to us instead of us happening to the world. We as Christians, like the rest of the world, are getting sucked into mindless entertainment that keeps us from contributing anything active or meaningful and slowly sucks hours and days and weeks out of our lives. We as Christians are trading in a vibrant Christian life and critical thinking for mind-numbing, thoughtless little video tidbits here and there that offer no virtue or value to us whatsoever. And yet we continue on, failing to realize the damage that is being done in the midst of that indifference and passivity. And no, we aren't persecuted. Quite the opposite. We have a standard of living that nobody before us has ever enjoyed. We enjoy luxuries and comforts that are so easily taken for granted, but let's realize the the consequences of those. Those comforts and luxuries often spoil and soften us into idleness and indifference. So no, we aren't facing any real persecution I would contend that there's a a bigger threat to us as Christians. Passivity. And so Christians, dealing with that very real threat, can look to the words of Peter this morning and do exactly what he encourages us to do. Pay attention. 
And he's not, this is not the, the kind of pay attention as if don't turn away or you will suddenly miss the, the awesome plot twist in the series that you're streaming. This is a pay attention because if you don't pay attention, your slowly fading faith is going to see you fall asleep at the wheel and end up in a head-on collision and see your soul die because of it. Pay attention. Wake up. Focus. Peter says. And in fact, in the words that precede our text, the second reading for this morning, earlier in the same chapter, Peter kind of gave us some direction or guidance as to how we can counter that passivity. It's in fact quite the opposite. He says, be active in your faith. If you'd look just a little bit earlier, and it's not printed for you, but you can go back and refer to this or, or use your Bibles in your phones, and you look just a little bit earlier where Peter encourages us in verse 5. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Does that sound like passivity, what Peter encourages us to pursue there as Christians? Hardly. Quite the opposite. He says, grow in the faith, pursue these things. And he gives us, points out two very real reasons why it is so essential for us to do that. Because pursuing those keeps us from being unproductive and ineffective. Now the reality is this, as a Christian, if you are not interested in putting your faith into practice, if that doesn't grab your attention to ask and say, am I being effective? Am I being productive for Christ and his kingdom? And if you're not interested in that, then you might as well just go home to heaven right now. Jesus isn't going to love you any less. He'll love you the same. But if you're not interested in carrying out what he has called us to carry out, if you're not caring about being productive and effective, then what good are you doing here on earth right now? Jesus has not just saved you for eternity. He has saved you for right here and for right now. But Peter points out an even greater reason for us to pursue all of those things. It's not just so that we would avoid being ineffective and unproductive. The bigger threat that he points out is that they would forget that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You see, passivity so easily becomes indifference, and indifference becomes forgetfulness. And forgetfulness gets to a point of not being concerned or caring about not only my sin, but more importantly, that my sins have been forgiven. So the big question is, how does, how does any of this change for us? Because it's not natural for you or me or anybody else to just flip a switch and say, wow, wow, pastor said I should be more productive and effective. Okay, I'm just going to go out and do that. That's not naturally any one of us. We are naturally focused on and concerned about self. So if this change is going to come about, it's not going to come from me. We have to go to the source. That's exactly where Peter takes us. With his eyewitness testimony on top of that mountain with the disciples to take us to the source to say, pay attention. See who is before us on this Mount of Transfiguration. See the Savior who was promised 
carrying out everything that he had to for our salvation. Pay attention. Focus on him. And then we can begin to talk about being effective and and productive in our Christian lives as we pay attention. And what exactly did Peter see when he was on that mountain? You heard the gospel account. You heard the details of it. But did you really grasp what Peter was saying? Read again as, as, or listen again, as he recounted what he witnessed on top of that mountain. He heard the Father's voice who said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But did you catch what preceded that statement? Words that were spoken at Jesus' baptism as well, mind you. But did you catch what led up to those words of the Father speaking to the Son? Peter says, We told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitness of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Now, you might brush over that to say the Father gave honor and glory to the Son. But do you realize how radical that would have been for anybody at Peter, James, or John time? They knew their Old Testament scriptures. And you know what God made abundantly clear in the Old Testament? He was not about to share or give his glory to anybody else. It was his alone. He was the true God. He was not going to put up with idol worship. He was not going to put up with anybody who would try to ascribe his glory to somebody else. In fact, he emphasized that through the prophet Isaiah In chapter 42, verse 8, this is what the Lord spoke through Isaiah. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And yet, what do we see that very God doing on top of the Mount of Transfiguration? Yielding his glory to Jesus. What conclusion could the disciples draw? What conclusion can we draw? Jesus alone is who he claimed to be. Jesus alone is the one that God promised to send. Jesus was God in the flesh, perfectly pleasing to the Father, receiving every ounce of his glory, and well-equipped perfectly to carry out what was going to follow the Mount of Transfiguration. He was going to go down into Jerusalem and suffer and die. Peter points us to exactly what we need. Whether it's, it's a matter of struggling and, and doubting and wondering or just simply being passive. The only thing that is going to change that is focusing, looking to Jesus. Because that alone, Jesus alone, is going to stir our hearts. But as you know, as much as Peter was trying to encourage and address anybody who was having any doubts or being passive as we struggle with today, he actually was pointing out who Jesus was and just simply laying the foundation for the main points that he was making in this section. He says, look to Jesus, yes, but he wasn't finished there. He didn't just highlight, yes, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God. That was the foundation for what Peter would say next. In verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. 
The prophetic word is Peter's way of saying, you have the Bible. Pay attention to it. Now do you get the connection that that Peter's making? He takes us to the mountain to see Jesus. And he says, do you want to keep seeing Jesus? Then pay attention to this. Because God's word, the Bible, is how Jesus reveals himself to us. This is how we get to do all of the very things that Peter encouraged earlier in the chapter as we grow in our faith and pursue Christian living. He connects Jesus with the word and encourages us to focus on it. You saw or you heard rather the the description. Focus as a light shining in a dark place. This illustration just hit home to me again uh, two nights ago, I guess. Friday night, our kids are playing in a, a basketball tournament up at our high school. And rather than driving an hour back here Friday night and then an hour again Saturday morning, we stayed at a friend's house. And Saturday morning when I, I woke up, it was still pitch black. And the whole house was dark. As I, I left where I was sleeping to go use the, the bathroom, I opened the door and could see nothing. I knew the general space, but there was no light whatsoever. I I literally had my hands in front of me so I didn't go into run over a kid or into the wrong room or down the stairs. Eventually, I found my way there and back. But it made me realize how unlike that my own house is. There's all kinds of ambient lights in my house. The microwave clock, the, uh, the, the technology that is charging, the router, everything has a little glowing light. And you know when you're in a dark room that that's exactly what your eyes do. They go to that light, and from that light, you are able to track where you are in the room and where you need to go. But every time you are in a pitch black room, the first place your eye goes is to where the light is. Peter says, I want you to have that kind of focus on the Word of God. Is that anything that those of you who have been around for a while have heard anything different from me? Have you ever heard me encourage you to read your Bibles? If you've ever done any kind of counseling with me, are you sick and tired of me starting out maybe by asking, hey, what's your devotional life like? How much time are you spending in the Word? Because guess what? I got nothing better than that. And neither does God. That's why he's given to us his word so that through the word we make a tighter connection to Jesus. So Peter says, pay attention to my word. Spend time with me. And even tells us why. He illustrates why. Here's what happens as you pay attention with that kind of focus. He says, You do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That might be kind of an unclear verse if we didn't have the rest of Scripture to help us out there. I think many of us already know what the morning star is, but for the sake of those who don't, we can look to the very last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, we hear Jesus himself pointing out to us I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Peter says, pay attention to this so that that Jesus on the mountain more and more can fill up this. That's how God does it. 
There's no other alternative. There is no other way. And you won't hear anything other from, from me either. Pay attention. Focus to, the, to, to, to see Jesus in his word. And that's how the Jesus who was on that mountain comes to fill up your heart. And only then and only when that happens are you concerned about being effective and productive in your Christian faith. Only then do you want to know Jesus more and better. Only then do you care, as, as Gunther did, to be so excited about being baptized. And mind you, this is his birthday too. Not just a smart kid to remember birthday and baptism on the same day, but he was so excited to tie in his spiritual birth to his, his biological birth and excited to have that confidence of, of Jesus who's in his heart increasing and getting to know him better. And I pray that not just Gunther, but every one of us would take Peter's encouragement to heart. Pay attention. Your passivity is forgiven. It's in the past. Move forward with the focus that Peter encourages us to. Focus on the Word of God. Focus on Jesus. Amen.